0: Welcome to the Praxis Podcast. Praxis is a conversation about the intersection of science-based wellness and Christian spiritual practice. We cover three topic areas, mindfulness, fitness, and diet. For more information, you can just Google us at Praxis Christian Wellness. You are rolling, as we say in the business, speed and that'll be loud enough. So I'm here with Pastor Phil Bestel. Uh, thanks so much for, for sitting down with me. You've been sort of our longtime friend of Praxis and, and host of, you've uh, been a guest on many of our meetings. And uh, this is really our first chance to just sit down and have a talk one-on-one um, with the audience, for the audience. And so uh, for folks who do not know who you are, you have um, an online ministry. You just left your ministry in Chicagoland area and now have exclusively online ministry called Rua Space, which is a place for Christian spiritual practice, which includes fitness and, and prayer practices and a, a number of things. Your site basically says that Christ followers are taught how to pray, fast, and meditate and join in faith-shaping disciplines that Christians have practiced for thousands of years. And so we are taking everything that we've learned, you you and your wife, and are delivering it to you in bite-sized pieces that are immediately appreciable to your life. That is such a great articulation of what you do and everything that we're trying to discuss here on this podcast. And so just great to have you on board. And how do you feel?
1: Thank you. Yeah, no, it's an honor to get to talk to you guys. Your community has been a blessing to me as well. I love what you guys are doing. So the opportunity to chat is always good. And in terms of how am I feeling, I'm exhausted. (laughs) Um, It has been a journey to get here. Now, the good news is this is one of the last things I need to do before I go on like a six week sabbatical. And so this is the end of uh, kind of the sprint, if you will. And so I'm tired, but I'm I'm joyful, excited. There's good things ahead.
0: Now to explain to everyone, you have ended your ministry or your pastorship in, in your church there in the Chicago metro area, and you are sold your home, you're purchasing a home in St. Petersburg, Florida, and then moving down there uh, while while still producing content for Rua Space, but then you're going to have a, a, a sabbatical after all this. But this is all your first phase of getting out of out of um, Divinity School, being a pastor, launching this online ministry, and then moving to Florida. It's all, all in one yeah. go, right? <laughs>
1: It was, yeah. When I graduated, we were living in Seattle and I was working at a homeless ministry. And then I took the call out here after that. And then this Rua Space thing came about and we started working on that, brought in Christian yoga and such into it. And it's just blossoming. Published a book. I'm working on another one now. And it just sort of reached that point where, you know, if you like my son, when he picks up all of his toys and tries to carry them at once, he drops them and then gets very frustrated at trying to pick them back up. And when he picks up one, he drops another, right? And so I think it's just true in life that we have to know and honor our limits. And I was not very good at that for a while. And so now the pandemic really opened up this opportunity for us to explore what's next in this season. And it was just clear that we could not continue to hold all the things at once that saying no is a good thing. Even when you say no to good things um, in order to say yes to what you really want to say yes to. And so, yeah, we are moving here and packing up the truck and going to be doing this Rua Space thing and writing and yoga faith full time. And so it, it's a big change. It's an exciting one. A lot of unknowns uh, sort of stepping out into uh, mystery here. And so there's an excitement, but also a... Uh, sadness, obviously leaving people, but I think it's a good step for us.
0: So you're, you're taking on a lot, but you know, you're, you're also doing the things that we, that we love talking about, which is integrating fitness, mindfulness, or contemplation. And it's, you know, you've made references to fasting on the, on the site. So as someone who's been practicing this and teaching this, how do those things interact for you? Like, how is your life different now that you've been doing this practice for so long than it was before?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, we're told that we live, move, and have our being in God, right? And we are, I don't know, I'm assuming you are trained in kind of the same way, but, you know, we are post-enlightenment people, and our education system teaches us to think first and foremost. And so, In the West, I was trained to have a very heady faith. And I appreciate some aspects of that because I was taught how to study the Bible well. I was taught languages. I was taught, uh, you know, all these different methods and ways of reading and, and understanding and asking questions and finding answers and all of that. But I found out that it was leaving out the body. And, you know, it worked well for me for a long time, to leave my body out of it. It didn't really work well. It worked well in my mind to leave mm-hmm. my body out of it. It wasn't really working well. And some of that goes to the fact that, you know, since I was little, I struggled with anxiety, Tourette's, um, some OCD, these types of things. And for people who don't know, like, what Tourette's is specifically, you know, nerves and things in my body don't always work correctly. And so I often feel things that aren't real. I mean, they're real to me, they're feelings of something being off. And I often have to do something physically to get that feeling to go back to to what I would consider normal. And this is obviously very frustrating right now. I don't, you know, blurt out swear words and things like that that I know is kind of the like stereotypical thing of that, right? But, you know, with, with anxiety that was often there without necessarily reason, um with these other sort of issues that i've struggled with my body was not really a safe good place to spend a lot of time in Mm. so being trained just to be in the head was great because then i could think and the body stuff i could ignore except the problem is god created our bodies good and our emotions and our feelings are part of what communicate to us the goodness of not just ourselves but others and of God. They key us into when something is wrong or when something is right. And in order to be healthy, we have to have a healthy body, right? And it is linked to our mind and our spirit. When we ignore the body and we think we're just in our head, we're missing a lot and we can never really get the full picture. And so for me, spiritual discipline, spiritual formation, I started to realize that I had to engage the body again. I had to bring in my full existence. I couldn't exist just in the mind. Um, and so, things like fasting, um, yoga, meditation, different prayer practices, all of these things, I just started to realize that I, I had to engage them if I was going to find health, mind, body, and soul. And, you know, Jamie Smith's book, Desiring the Kingdom. You, I would recommend it to everyone. Not an easy read. It's thick. It took me you know, a while to sort of slog through. But he talks about liturgies and he talks about that, you know, we have all these cultural liturgies that surround us and then we have church liturgies. And whether or not you're in a quote unquote liturgical church, your church has liturgies because liturgies are simply the, the things we engage in that are meant to shape us. So if you have a sermon at your church, that's part of your liturgy. Like if you sing songs, that's part of your liturgy. Like we all have this. But the thing about the modern Western church is a lot of our liturgies, again, only speak to the mind. And so we tell people what to believe, what to think. But then they leave the church and the culture, the cultural liturgies are all about body, this is why there's the phrase sex cells. Why? Because it's not speaking to your mind, it's speaking to your body, right? Um, this is why malls and things are built the way they are. It's creating a liturgical worship experience that's meant to shape you. And so it just began over a period of many years for me to realize that I was participating in physical liturgies in the world that are much stronger than the mental only liturgies of church. But the beauty is our tradition has a history of embodied practice. And so I think for me, it was the, all of those stories sort of dancing with one another and coming together around, I need my faith to be embodied. And practices like fasting, like um, like fitness, different forms of prayer, they all bring the body into it. And so it transformed my faith, I think, in many different ways.
0: And how has... Um... How has it changed the way you you feel? Yeah,
1: it's changed that now I still have the same issues and things that I had before, but I'm able, I think now more to listen and honor them, than shove them down, ignore them, medicate them. And I don't just mean medicate like pill medicate, but medicate in whatever way we try to sort of uh, not feel those things. Now I think I can enter into them and honor them and listen to them. And that doesn't always mean that they're easy or that they just go away. But by listening to them well, I'm able to listen well more to who I am. And I'm able to sort of engage those things in more life-giving ways, if that makes sense. And so learning to breathe. In yoga, learning to listen to, hey, when I find myself in an arm balance, or in these different flows, Um, and it's a prayerful worship experience of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, learning to key into certain parts of the body Mm -hmm. is training so that when my body is feeling something, now I can name it a little better. I can consider it in a different way than just reacting to it. Now I think I can respond. Like wisdom to me lives in the space between. You know, Mm -hmm. when you are driving down the road and someone cuts you off, and you want to swear at them, or all of a sudden start using sign language or cut them off in return, that's a reaction. right? But if you can stop for a moment, return to the breath, return to what am I really feeling? Hey, maybe it was in, unjust and wrong. And so you should feel the anger that's bubbling up. But what is a response of wisdom that lives in the space when rather than just allowing what you're feeling to run you, You can start to name and truly feel what you're feeling and then ask, how do I respond to this in a way that loves God, loves others, loves and honors myself? And so I think that's part of what the disciplines have helped me to do is to tap more into that in-between space to then respond rather than just react, to be able to gain a new perspective, if you will, and choose what I want to do rather than just whatever the first inclination may be if that
0: makes sense that makes total sense and it's a great sort of transition to the next question which is you basically have kind of in the return of the body there's sort of the body body like fitness part the yoga part but the other is the mind in the in sense of mindfulness rather than in sense of you know what should i think next what should i what should occupy my mind? But this, it, you almost can't be aware of your body and your emotions until you tame your mind a certain amount. Um, and the way you describe it, I, I think of sober mindedness. Paul uses the term sober mindedness at all, at least the English term. Um, and that always sort of evokes for me the, the being able to sit with your emotions and your thoughts before you act. Um, and, and you, so you have these, not only do you have yoga on the site, but you also have a number of spiritual practices like centering prayer, uh, you have the prayer of the heart, Orthodox one, um, that the Orthodox tradition uses that one a lot. How has that come about in in your own practice? And then can you tell us a little bit more about how that interacts with the body as that, at the body as a spiritual discipline? How do those two, two things interact.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, you are, what you're starting to describe, I think many people call monkey mind, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's just it jumping around, start, no? hopping around, yeah, distracting. And I think what these practices, like something like centering prayer, you talk about prayer of the heart, many people today would probably practice breath prayer, which is then linked to, you know, like Jesus prayer. Um, you know, picking a word or a phrase that we repeat, or that we return to, and it helps center us. And you know, as other thoughts and things come in, we can observe them, we, can, we don't have to judge them, but then we can sort of let them go, right? And for me, this is a part of the process of learning to listen well. You know, one of my, one of my favorite phrases, I didn't invent it, but it's just that God is still speaking. And the question is, are we listening? and so i'm reminded of you know stories like elijah going out on the mountain and where what is god heard in god is heard in the stillness in the whisper in the silence um, you know our bodies pick up our minds pick up on what we seek and what we don't seek we're likely to miss so there's this book called, and it was based on a famous experiment called the Gorilla uh, Experiment. And it's this video they made of a number of kids and they're in two different colored t-shirts and they're passing, I think it's like a basketball or some sort of kickballs around, right? And the experiment is they bring in a bunch of people and they ask them to watch this video. And they say, count the number of passes that you know, the, the black shirted team makes or the white shirted team or the, you know, the girls or the boys, whatever, whatever the split up is. And then they ask at the end of the video for them to name how many passes, whatever, except the trick is partway through this video, a person in a gorilla suit walks into the middle of all these people, thumps its chest, and then walks out of the video. And the report is that something like half of the people don't notice the gorilla because they're so focused in on the passes of the balls, anything that they're not expecting or looking for they miss, right? And I mean, this is partly why there's so many motorcycle accidents. As a driver of a vehicle, you're often looking for other vehicles. Now, this isn't the only reason, right? But you're often looking for other vehicles. You can literally see the motorcycle and not register and then drive into it. People do the same thing with color-changing tricks on YouTube, right? They change shirts, backgrounds, table. And if you're not looking for it, you'll have no idea. None of the colors are the same by the end of the video. Because if we're not looking for it and seeking it, we're unlikely to find it. We're unlikely to see it. Which reminds me of Jesus saying, seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So long way to get to these practices, to me, help center our mind on what do we want to seek? What do we want to find? Because if we can't, in some sense, begin to take control, uh, in some, you know, we start getting into the complexity of our brain here and how much can we really control, right? But if we don't bring some intentionality or some mindfulness to what we're thinking, to what is going through our body, then someone else is making those decisions for us, right? Like everything shapes us, everything we're participating in all day long shapes us. So practices like the Jesus prayer, like centering prayer, even like something like fasting that is a space maker, as we can begin to pay attention to our thoughts, to listen to them, to open to the still small whisper, that to me is where we start to hear the voice of God, to see and feel the movement of the Holy Spirit. That, but it takes that intentionality. And it's not that we're earning something. Prayer is not getting God's attention or um, convincing God to finally turn God's face and ear toward us. Jesus tells us we've already got that. God already knows what we need before we ask, he says in the Sermon on the Mount. But the question again is, are we listening? Are we keyed in to that voice? You know, I'm reminded, um, you know, I'm sure it's this way for you, that when when your wife calls, you know, on our phones, it gives you the, the caller ID, right? The name of the person calling. Except I bet you don't need that. If you just picked up the phone, you would recognize the voice of your wife, right? Mm -hmm. I would think, (laughs) right? And if 10 women called you and they were like, we need you to pick out the voice of your wife. I bet you could do it because you have the experience of that. And this is what Jesus is getting at. When he says that the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. Sheep are amazing, right? If you put a ton of flocks together and they all intermix and all the shepherds start calling their sheep, the sheep will all separate and go to their specific shepherds. Why? Because they know the voice of that shepherd and they can pick it out. They they notice it and they can follow it. I mean, this is why I'm amazed. You know, there's a story of, you know, Philip with the eunuch, right? And it says an angel told him to go walk down a certain road. And then it says the spirit told him to go stand by the chariot. Well, it doesn't tell us how the Spirit told him this. Did Philip have a feeling? Did he have a thought? Did he read something in Scripture? Did someone tell him? Did a voice come from heaven? It doesn't say what the voice of the Spirit was, but Philip knew the voice enough to say, that's the voice, and it's telling me to go stand by the chariot. He must have known that because he had intentionally been listening in the past, and so the voice became clear to him. And so All that sort of coming together, things like the Jesus prayer, these different forms of meditation, bringing our body into it. For me, it's all an intentional listening practice to listen to how does the spirit speak to you? And it's not the same for all of us, right? That's why not every practice hits home with everyone in a certain way. We are all made in different ways. And that means that this the way the spirit speaks to us is gonna be different. But if we don't create that intentional space and time to listen, we're gonna miss it. We're gonna feel like God is distant, like God never speaks. And this isn't to say by the way, that just cause you do this all of a sudden you're gonna hear from God all the time, right? Like I think it was, um, Mother Teresa went through what? Like a 40 year dark night of the soul, right? Mm. So I mean, there's no saying, oh, this you know guarantees whatever. But to me, it's that intentionality. It's the, are we seeking the voice? Are we, are we creating the space to get to know the voice? As much as we know the voice of a loved one, as much as we would be able to know the sheep knows the voice of the shepherd. And these practices are aids, I guess, in doing that and helping us set our intention in that direction.
0: Do you have any anecdotes you could share from your own practice where you know there's a profound moment of, sort of getting, getting what the practice is all about?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, for me, a lot of things. Come through feelings and thoughts over time. So I'll share of a time when it happened in just an instant. But for me, often a lot of the disciplines end up playing out with my wife because we then will talk about experiences and we will see where we are both feeling. You know, the word angel in the Bible is the word messenger. And I think people can then be angels in that sense of messengers bringing what God is saying. So I frequently hear the voice of the spirit through my wife and through us exploring after prayer and meditation or whatever it may be together. So I think a lot of things where I hear the voice of the spirit, it comes over time. It comes through journaling. It comes through listening practices. But I do remember one specific time, which was pretty recently. You know, we are making this move to St. Petersburg from Chicago. This upcoming Sunday is my last Sunday at the church. We're stepping into this really unknown of how everything's going to work out. And a big question we had throughout this was when? When do we make this step? There was a thousand different components to um, making this decision from market to money to buying a house to ending this job to starting that one to our kids to our family our friend right and it was an equation that was impossible for us to just solve logically so we were really seeking god what is the what is the timing here so i did like a month-long fast and it wasn't um a fast from not eating completely Um, But I had days where I did that. So it was a fast from certain types of food, from certain types of drink, and then I would have periods of time where I wouldn't eat at all. And again, this wasn't to say, God, because I'm doing this, you know, I know you're going to give me the answer, like I'm earning it. I didn't, I didn't deserve it before, but now I've earned the deserving. It's not that. But it was to create the space to say perhaps the spirit has guidance and the distractions of everything else how can i hear well hear well my own story because i think the spirit speaks through our own stories too it doesn't have to be a new word it could be an old word but so there was this one day where i was fasting i wasn't eating that day and i was worshiping i was using worship music just to praise God, to, um, to allow the words of the song to be a prayer to me and a prayer from me. And so I was sitting in my office and I was watching a um, worship video on my phone. So I had my iPhone out. I was listening to this. I was just bawling my eyes out because the words just like hit so powerfully. It was just a overwhelming emotional experience in a good way. It wasn't fabricated. It was just like this happened. And at the same time, my wife was upstairs. She didn't know that I was doing this and she was taking some courses um, in in yoga because that's part of our business. So she was learning some new things. And in the video, the person um, with yoga faith was talking about God inviting us to new spaces and new callings. And she felt just very powerfully like something spoke to her. So she texted me. This was back around election time. So she used some like election terms. She sent me a quote from the video. And then she said, I'm calling it, you know, sort of like CNN or Fox or whatever would say, we're calling the state of whatever for this candidate. So she goes, I'm calling it. She goes, We're moving in spring. We're listing the house in spring. And at that very moment, what I had been fasting about, what I had been praying about, worshiping God, I was listening to the song Waymaker, which I know not everyone likes the song or whatever. But to me, it was God making a way when, you know, even when you don't see it, God's working. Even when you don't feel it, God is working. So there I am just asking God for direction. And I'm watching this video and then a text pops onto the screen. I'm calling it. (laughs) We're moving in spring. And... You know, of course, someone could look at that and say, well, that was going to happen anyway, but I I really don't think it was. I really don't think that the setup of that moment would have been the same for me to feel that this is clear direction for both of us, but that was fasting, that was worship, that was prayer. And so that was sort of a combination of all of it sort of coming together, if you will. So I I felt like that was a pretty strong uh, moment that felt pretty clear to me anyway.
0: Yeah, that's definitely powerful. And, and I'm, I'm glad you know who is boss. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. You, you don't dare text back. No, no, no. It's the fall. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> now, um, in, the, in the next half hour of the podcast, we're going we're gonna to do a little a short exercise with, with Pastor Phil, who's going to do some movement and contemplation with us um, when, when, we, when we round the, the second part of the hour here. And that's what we'll wrap up with. But I did want to talk to you a little bit about you're you're both very spiritual people, and you you had like you're just like going at this a thousand percent this this ministry, and I'm I'm so I have so much admiration for that commitment and that just level of focus. Um, how did you get there? You have a very interesting story. You you started out at, at college, not um, you didn't start at divinity school. Um, and this wasn't necessarily, you know, you had a calling. Could you tell us a, just a little bit about that and about your journeys as a missionary and what what brought you, brought you to this place?
1: Yeah. So I'll give kind of a short version, hitting on the the main points here. So from the time I was little, I wanted to be a physicist, an astronomer. You know, my grandfather is a pretty well known scientist, and. It just seemed like it was, you know, the right thing to do to follow in the, the uh, science footsteps, and so I went to my undergraduate uh, school for physics, and I was working at the, you know, the um, the I was working with all the different telescopes there. They had an observatory at the top of one of the buildings, the science buildings. I was working with all that, but it was a Christian school, and. Um, I had planned to go on for my PhD in physics and to study the universe essentially. But when I was there, you know, I started going to Mars Hill, which was Rob Bell's church at the time. He was the pastor there. And I also had to take a Bible class as part of this. Now, people in the past had, had told me, you know, hey, you know, you might consider going into ministry. And I'm like, that is absolutely the last thing that I'm ever going to do, not gonna happen. Um, just not me. And but then as I started taking this this Bible class with an amazing professor, Chris Dr. Christina de Groot, and I started learning from Rob Bell, it started a shift. And the shift at first was a shift um, toward working with justice. So Rob, if any of you have ever read his books or heard him speak, very big um, teacher and proponent of justice work of God is a God of the oppressed seeing and hearing those that the world doesn't and that just spoke to me it, it it was a series called calling all peacemakers and it was interesting because I think he just he called it calling all peacemakers in terms of everyone becoming a peacemaker but for me it truly I think was a moment of you are being being called to be a peacemaker um, in in ministry if that if that makes sense and i was loving the bible class studying the bible just became an absolute uh passion of mine i found that i enjoyed talking more about faith and um the bible than i enjoyed talking about physics and so i made that change and i moved to israel where i started studying with a rabbi and historians and um you know, wow. archaeologists and traveling around the Middle East. And a lot shifted there because one of the rabbis there, he was teaching us, obviously, from a Jewish perspective. And in, in Jewish interpretive tradition, they fill in the gaps mm-hmm. in stories. And so, and so in one of the stories of Abraham going to take Isaac, I I believe it's Genesis 22, it says something like, after these things, to start the chapter. And the question the rabbis ask is, after what things, right? Like, what are the things being spoken about here? And so there's this oral tradition in Judaism that has the same level of authority as the written Torah. You have the oral Torah. And it is the tradition of people explaining what the things were before Abraham came about. And one of the things that bothered me as a post-enlightenment, you know, Western thinker was Abraham could not have done all of these things before the events of the written Torah, right? Like pick one, which one is the historically (laughs) accurate version? And he said, you're asking the wrong question. Well, that just really ticked me off because... I thought it was the exact right question. Tell me which one is historically <laughs> true. And that is the one that is true then for our faith. So for days being told, asking the wrong question, asking the wrong question, until finally I realized that they didn't care about if it fit into history as we understand history today. Right. Their questions were about, how does this help me to love God and love others? And so a transformation in my faith started sort of occurring. Between that, I was making friends with Palestinians. I was just seeing the world as a you know 19-year-old living in the Middle East, going to refugee camps and learning all this stuff. It just transformed my faith to saying, mm-hmm. all of these questions I used to think mattered as much, where it was just about having all the answers don't matter as much as having the right questions, of understanding the story. Mm-hmm. So as I, began, as I came back then and finished my time at the school, I started getting into Richard Foster. I started learning about spiritual disciplines, but I didn't really start practicing them all that much then. It was, again, it was knowledge, right? I thought by knowing about it, mm-hmm. I was doing it. When in reality, I just knew a lot about it. So when we graduated, my wife and I got married, you know, right after you know, like a couple weeks after graduation. Then like a month after that, we moved to Malawi and I was going to be wow. teaching in a Bible college. She was a teacher. We were working with an orphanage and farms and um, heavily Muslim area, just sort of building relationships, loving on people. Was it very and primitive?
0: Was it a deserty area? or a... it,
1: it, was, it, it wasn't deserty, um, but it was definitely Africa, if that makes sense. Like it was it, we didn't have electricity a lot of the time. We didn't have running water. Um, it was way out in the middle of nowhere. And so they had greenery, um, but yeah, it was very hot, very dusty. Um, we, we loved it, right? I mean, it was, it was great, but it was also eye-opening because we were now learning about faith from people who truly had to walk it every day because, I mean, I'll never forget helping someone plant a field, planting it by hand, like literally taking a shovel, making a hole, planting a seed, making another hole, planting a seed. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then the crops got sick and died. And that was all the family had to eat for that year, right? Yet they kept insisting how good Jesus was. And they kept insisting how faithful God was. And Again, the questions that you sit in a first world university and say, you know, theodicy—the why does God allow suffering—is this huge question. And I would ask people there, and it, it wasn't their main question. You know what I mean? Right. It, it, it was like they had had a different experience. And so I, my mind was broadened just a little bit more. And so then we came back, and I attended the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, and. I think this is where the body stuff really began to kick in. I ultimately wrote my master's thesis on embodied spiritual disciplines, and they make you go through therapy, like group therapy, personal therapy, a lot of psychology classes, and in all of that, I was forced to get into my body. What am I feeling? Because that's so important, not just for knowing my own story, but for loving and serving the person sitting across from me to understand what, how what they're saying and doing is making me feel, how it may make them feel, that just interpersonal relationship. So I was forced into my body at that point. And I think just sort of the, the physical importance of all of it grew. And I think it was all of that just kind of coming together.
0: Wow. That is, that is just amazing. And you are, you are oh, I'm sure.
1: I, I wanted to give you a second before.
0: <laughs> no, that, that was, that was, that's, that's just so moving. And it, it is really like what I began uh, my project with is kind of like wondering, are, are there Phil Vestals out there? Um, are there people who see the same connections or lack of connections that I do? And um, and then what do you what do you do next? And so it's it's been a real blessing to have met you, and um, and I just learn stuff every well, time we speak.
1: The, well, no, it's the same to you, brother. Because I mean, that's that's the you know I started working with the homeless in Seattle, and then when I moved out here for ministry, I learned the the multifaceted answer to the question you're asking. That yes, there are people out there doing it, but I've also met so much fear around right. practices. Even something like Lexio Divina, which to me seems like the most uh, you, everyone should be able to agree that listening to scripture and meditating and praying on it is good. Even that. People were very scared, very against it. Um, So it has been a journey for me too. I mean, this is why I think, you know, we've connected Praxis and Rua Space and you and I have connected because we are asking those same questions and there are people out there. And I definitely think if the church is going to continue to um, be applicable to our culture and not, and uh, really love people well. This is got to be a major part of where it's going, but I think it's going to be a difficult conversation over the next couple of decades for sure.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about like what are the kinds of resistance that you have encountered? Because there's there's the resistance that I you know I see all the time to the mindfulness and contemplation, which is very easy in some ways to explain because uh, there, there's a survey I read in, in some of the literature um, that they did a study and found that like 60% of the people surveyed preferred to take an electric shock, a short electric shock, rather than spend 10 minutes in silence. And <laughs> and so there's there's people come up with all sorts of excuses to avoid silence when, when they know they don't want to do that. Um, but also, yeah, there is, um, I, you know, I think in the, in the the Western Protestant world, particularly, there is, there's been a divorce from monasticism, right? So, so that's particularly suspect. Um, but at the same time, I find that, you know, a lot of, of the Protestant folks are the, the most, like in, in, in terms of sheer proportion of folks that I've actually encountered who are doing centering prayer, they tend to be Protestants, um, really but but yeah but the catholics kind of they get it right away they're like oh yeah okay yeah you're doing that okay fine that's what the monks do okay (laughs) but as a but because i'm in my experience again like Protestants are like when they want to they they go they're they're very enterprising Mm -hmm. right so they see a new thing they see a new enterprise a new mission and they they embrace it when they when they want to they really yeah. go for it, um, which is its part of that, the joy, the flexibility. I go to a Protestant you know, theology school and it's the creativity. There's so much creativity there um, and energy that that's, that's really what I, I love about my, my Protestant brothers and sisters. But the, the types yeah. of resistance you come up with uh, is there in, in, in the contemplation. But also, um, you know, you've had some experiences with yoga, which is, it's, it's becoming more accepted, but it's still controversial.
1: Yeah, yeah. you know, with the silence, I think one of the difficulties, and this is the same thing that I learned in therapy, is when you sit and slow down and feel, there's going to be stuff that comes up and you've got to deal with it. And we need to deal with it because the stuff that we've gone through and we're feeling is like a beach ball. And if you've ever tried to hold a beach ball underwater, it's going to come up at some point. And it's probably going to hit you in the face because it's going to come up when you're not ready for it. And so the stuff is in there. But the reason they'd rather the electric shock is it's the pain that they know compared to the silence bringing up the stuff that they don't want to deal with. And they don't know maybe what's going to come up, or maybe they do know. And it's even scarier, except the problem is it's already coming up, but it's coming up then. And they're not in control of it. Right. And so I think that's definitely one part of resistance. I think there's resistance over, oh, it's Eastern, which to me is hilarious because our entire tradition is Eastern. And so um, if you're discounting something coming from the East, you got to throw out the whole Bible because, I mean, I hate to say it, it wasn't written in English. Um, post constitution in America right like this isn't this isn't our tradition our tradition is eastern and because it's eastern they do things like ask questions and they do things like hey the the exact history isn't what's most important like that is the tradition um and so I think discounting something because it's from the East is just ridiculous. Because again, to me, that also is to say that those people aren't made in the image of God, nothing true. You know, can anything good come out of the East, right? Like, uh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I think that's to miss the spirit moving in the entire world. Now, for some specific practices, people have a problem with emptying the mind as as if um there's texts about, oh, well, then demons are going to come back and find, you know, this empty house and they're going to inhabit it. To which one, I would say that is to then potentially say that the demons are more powerful than the Holy Spirit. And I would say that that is not true, that if we have the Holy Spirit, then um, if we're inviting the Spirit, then the Spirit wins. The tomb is already empty, right? Um, God wins. That's how that works. But also, I would say that I, I don't fully know the, the issue with emptying the mind in the sense that, this is what we were sort of talking about earlier, it's the what you seek, you will find. And to me, slowing down, considering thoughts, you know, in, in that sense, emptying, it isn't an emptying without purpose. It's the intentionality of refocusing on the voice of God or my own story or this present moment. And I found that to be absolutely key to lessening anxiety, absolutely key to listening better to my wife, absolutely key to being able to love my children after they've been screaming for an hour and all I want to do, you know, right? Like, I just want to get angry. The the time of, of being able to intentionally slow the mind Has has opened up the ability to be compassionate and more loving and more present, right? That you know, Paul says we need to take all of our thoughts captive. You know, we take our thoughts captive to obey Christ. Well, we can't do that if we just ignore them, right? And so I think that process is not to become one with the universe, but maybe to become one with ourselves first, because we are so disintegrated even with ourselves. That we need to reintegrate, but to become one with God. Jesus talks about Him dwelling in us and us dwelling in Him, like the vine and the branches of the Holy Spirit existing in us. So, you know, we, we may enter into meditation and contemplation in different traditions for different reasons, but to me, it's that space creator in order to listen well to the spirit, in order to listen well to my own story. And so I think when things are done with the intention of connecting to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when it's done in in like a contemplation meditation, I I think that 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 opens a door for blessing, not opening the door for um, something evil or negative. Um, And again, doing things with discernment, with community, all of that. But then I think a big one, as you mentioned also, is yoga, that a lot of people, are against it because of of, quote-unquote Hindu roots, to which I would say there's many people who say yoga began in Egypt. Um, For a while, people in India, you know, Mark, I recommend, I think, Mark Singleton's book to you, Yoga Body. He talks about how people who practice the asanas were really on the fringes of Indian society for quite some time. It wasn't really the normal part of the practice. and. I was going to practice originally i was going to get trained at a studio um, for yoga that uh they they would claim that you know they were teaching raja yoga and they would say there's one god and and they are not you know that it's not hindu that it's not religious at all that it predates it so to say it's hindu one is actually to misunderstand the, the the history of this of this practice But it's also to, I think, not see that it's an ongoing conversation, that yoga as we have it in the West is really a combination of European gymnastics mixed with yoga, mixed with this weightlifting, with physical culture practice. It was a conversation in India at the time. And there's parts of yoga certainly that I don't participate in, that I don't think are things that are helpful or life-giving. But yoga at its root is to yoke or unite and to me that's the we live move and have our being in god and so breath work mixed with movement with praise with worship um mixed with lifestyle of loving god and loving others and ourselves you know it's the whole thing and so you know i i i think that all truth is god's truth if it's true it it comes from God. And if it brings us closer to God, it is opportunity. And so that's just like two minutes on a really long conversation. You know, we have blog posts and videos about that. Um, But I would say that, yes, all things uh, must be done with the guidance of the spirit with discernment. But I think there's truth in these practices that absolutely bring us closer to God.
0: Absolutely. You know, I don't know if we we talked about it, um, but I I wrote about it on our blog, which was like, I kind of see this period in which Christianity is sort of wrestling with and and trying to have a conversation with Eastern practices, uh, the same way that that Christianity had to grapple with pagan uh, Greco Roman culture in the third and fourth century as it emerged as a, you know, the governing force, and that like, if you put on a christmas play in 5th century Rome they would call you a devil worshiper <laughs> because theater was a pagan institution and mm. you couldn't put on plays because plays were in the in Gre- came from Greece and they dedicated them to the gods and they were about the gods and they were everything mm. was spiritually oriented and so now it sounds ridiculous right it's because we pulled all that stuff out and and we right. found what what works, not only to be entertaining ourselves, but what actually advances the gospel um, through theater, right? So right. that's which, the by creativity the way, the, play.
1: Yeah, which, by the way, the Bible does this all the time. Uh, Paul was not afraid of quoting poets from the cities he was writing to. The phrase fr- that it's in him that we live, move, and have our being did not all ar- It was originally about Zeus. I mean, the flood narrative comes from many different cultures, right? And so our scriptures do this all the time of saying if something is true, then we we engage the truth in it, even if we don't accept everything that's a part of it.
0: Yeah, and, and I think I think people have to to give their, you know, they have to discern, like you said, and and certainly give their their instructors and their leaders a little bit of credit uh, and give them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I know that you have done the work and, and Yoga Faith has done the work to look at these practices carefully and see mm, what do sure. they look like in the in the light of the revelation of, of Christ. And so, yeah, I, I think you're doing a great job. So, so with oh, that- well, in mind, thank
1: you. And, and again, you know, every, yeah.
0: Oh, uh, go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say, you know, just again, everything done with prayer, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit in community. I think those are keys to moving forward really
0: with with anything. (laughs) And and with that, would you now uh, lead us in a a small exercise for the last uh, 10 minutes that we have?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I had set up a camera here, so I uh, you probably won't be able to see everything, but I will do my best to um, cue kind of what we're doing. Very, very simple. I did it essentially in a chair because, you know, I don't know if people are listening to this in, in, in an office setting, at home, whatever it may be, but this way it's really kind of accessible to everyone. And I wanted to combine just a little bit of movement. We're not gonna stay in postures too long, but with something called welcoming prayer. And welcoming prayer is all about feeling. And taking what we're feeling into the presence of God. So this is going to be a space where we're going to put, combine a little bit of movement with prayer. And so, are we ready?
0: Yeah. Should it, should it, is this um, is right, this a good frame? Good. This will be. <laughs> Fortunately, I've moved out of the plane of focus yeah, of my camera. Good.
1: No worries, you know, I'll, I'll cue it. I think people will, will be able to pick up even if they're just listening to okay. the audio. So, friends, I would invite you just to find a comfortable seated position. You can hold a soft gaze if you want or close your eyes, but I invite you just to begin to breathe, feeling each inhale and each exhale. Each breath is a gift from God, literally God sustaining our existence. And in the Bible, the word for breath is often the same word as spirit. And so our breath, we breathe with intentionality and prayerfully connects us to the spirit. To begin our practice, I invite you just to feel what you're feeling, whatever that may be. Maybe scan from your head down to your toes. What emotions are you feeling? Maybe anxiety or fear. Maybe it's peace or joy. Can you name it? Can you name where you're feeling it? While you continue to feel, I invite you just to raise your chin to look up at the ceiling. Continuing to breathe. and Then dropping our head down to the right side, toward the right shoulder, lowering the ear to the shoulder. We often like to shove our feelings down or ignore them or medicate them. But I'd like to invite you to continue feeling whatever it is that your body is communicating. Let's drop our chin down to our chest. Whatever it is, don't run away, but name it, and name where you can feel it. And let's start, head now, left ear to left shoulder. Feeling the stretch in the neck, sending the breath into where you're feeling that stretch. And coming back to center, let's raise our arms up above our heads and look up toward the ceiling. This is a wonderful posture of praise. But well, continue to feel, does anything change as you move? Does the feeling, the emotion, does it shift? Do you feel it more or less? Just stay with it. And then bringing our hands down to center, we're gonna send our right hand under our left, meeting our elbows together. And then bringing our hands up, We're going to meet our palms together, or you can grab a thumb if that's in your practice, and then raise and lower your shoulders, just feeling that stretch in the horse. And releasing our arms, let's now send our opposite arm underneath, our left under our right. Intertwining our arms, notice the difference between the sides, between the arms. Then we're releasing our arms. I'm going to invite you to come to sort of the edge of your chair because we're going to extend our right leg out to one side while keeping our left foot planted on the earth. And then hinging at your hips, fold forward over that extended leg. So our right leg out straight, foot, our toes pointed to the ceiling, fold forward. Now, while you're here, I'd like to invite you just to say hello to that emotion or that feeling. Welcome it. Ask it, what are you trying to say to me right here, right now? Hello anger, hello fear, hello hello joy, hello peace. Why are you here today? And just spend the space of these postures listening and welcoming what you're feeling. Bringing our right leg back in, let's extend our left leg now straight out to our other side and fold forward over that left leg, hinging at the hips. Find a similar expression as what you had and continue to feel. rising back up. We're now going to bring our foot back in and walk both feet out to the side, almost like what you'd have in a deep squat, except you're gonna continue sitting on the chair. So our feet can be pointed out at about 45 degrees, but go ahead and walk them out toward the sides of the chair. Taking our right hand, I'm gonna invite you to place it down toward the earth between your feet, and then twisting your torso, raise your left arm up to the ceiling. So finding a gentle twist in this posture. Continue to feel, continue to listen. Releasing our left hand, let's replace our left hand on the floor from our right. So now our left hand will be down between our feet and twist to the other side, raising our right hand up. It can be tempting in these postures to stop breathing. So continue to breathe. You may find your mind wandering. I invite you just to turn back to what you're feeling, return back to what your body is communicating, to whatever that emotion or feeling is. Continue to welcome it, listen to it. Maybe what you're feeling is a result of your day, something you've done, something that's been done to you, something that happened in the world. And then coming back to center, let's walk our feet both back in so that our feet are about hip distance apart. And we're going to take our right foot and raising it up, plant it on top of your left knee so that it's almost like you're crossing your legs, except instead of crossing your knee on knee, we're just going to place a foot on that knee. Now you can stay right here if you're feeling that stretch, you might feel it in your hip, or if you can go a little deeper, I invite you to hinge at your hips and fold over that leg. And now in these postures, I invite you to bring that feeling that you've named, whatever whatever it may be, wherever you're feeling it, to God. Sometimes our feelings will go once they've been heard. They just wanted to be heard. And so, prayerfully bring whatever you've been feeling to God and surrender it to God and let it go. And it may not go, and that's okay. We may have to practice this many times, but that's good. God invites us to bring whatever we're feeling into the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are listening. We are honoring ourselves and we are bringing it to God prayerfully to ask God to bless us in that space and to let it go because now we can do with what we've been feeling what it came for. Let's place that right foot back onto the floor and find a similar posture on the other side, this time bringing our left foot up to our right knee and then either hinging at the hips or in forward folding or remaining seated upright prayerfully bring what you are feeling into the presence of God in the space of this silence. back on the floor we're going to enter into our seated child's pose which is gonna be our final posture and you can do this by taking your forearms and laying them down on your knees or your lap perhaps on the table in front of you and then allowing your head just to come down to rest you may place your hands on your knees and then your head on a table but just leaning forward I invite you in the space of this final posture just to rest allow everything to integrate rest in this moment in the presence of God Lord God, we thank you that you created us physical, that you created us spiritual, that you created us to have a mind that thinks and that all of it together glorifies you. Lord, we're thankful that our feelings and our bodies and our thoughts tell us something and that your Holy Spirit guides us through them. So whatever we've brought to you today, Lord, may we honor it, may we listen to it may you guide us going forward with what it is meant to communicate that we may love you and love others from this space today forgive us when we haven't listened well but give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear in jesus holy name amen slowly rising back up thanks for joining me
0: thank you pastor phil for having um the time to talk to all of us it is always a pleasure and until next time Marunata.
1: grace and peace